0: By a score of 27 to 24, and the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry.
1: WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org.
0: of the radio stations on your dial play the same small
1: slice of the musical spectrum. 1% plays the rest. WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. We are the 1%. How do you Three year jail sentences for the members of a controversial feminist punk band, Pussy Riot, who staged a protest stunt in Russia's main cathedral. Yes. FM, WCBN, FM, Ann Arbor. One more FM, Ann Arbor. Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley.
0: And I'm Jim Dwyer.
1: And just a personal note, I've been uh, waylaid with some health problems unexpectedly. Uh, interesting that I was going to sign up for health care next year after the uh, kinks were worked out of the Obamacare, and I... Uh, Ended up uh, unexpectedly in ICU. So, uh, I guess uh, what I have to say is personal. First of all, I'd like to thank all of the people that uh, visited from WCBN and sent wishes and whatnot. Uh, Saw somebody in person. And uh, I know uh, that was one thing I missed in the hospital. (laughs) Radio. No radio. Yeah. At least they had some uh, television, public television and TCM, and uh, the baseball pennant race kept me going. But I guess it's a uh, friendly reminder to people out there, particularly low-income people like myself, that you don't want to take a chance on uh, not having health insurance because you never know. And I'm obviously going to be saddled with some bills here that are substantial, But you got to pay the piper, and uh, my strategy uh, obviously backfired, so I'll give myself a brain damage award. (laughs) (laughs) When in doubt, and you haven't given out some brain damage awards because I've been uh, in New York City a lot, uh, give yourself one. Well, it's
0: good to have you back, and uh, we're all very... uh, Pleased uh, you're able to rejoin the program here.
1: And, of course, the thing that's the strangest is I went in with thighs like Barry Sanders. I used to be a jock. And I came out with thighs like Peter Lawford. (laughs) (laughs) That's (coughs) called uh, atrophy. Luckily, my brain seems to still be functioning uh, at least uh, on eight cylinders. I don't know about ten, but...
0: Well, eight is good. it will do.
1: I can at least spell potato.
0: Potatoes, on the other hand, uh, might get complicated. <laughs> An old Dan Quayle joke.
1: And, of course, it's been a fascinating uh, week or two in the news. For one week, I was kind of sedated, so I didn't really know what was going on. Just having weird dreams. That'll be another story for another show. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Certainly involves plastic tubes and gagging. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, it's fascinating uh, stuff going on all over the world. We have an ISIS uh, evolving policy that I don't think is as bad as uh, some of Obama's critics claim. We won't bother with the NFL and all of their shenanigans, because, uh, in my opinion, that's gotten way too much uh, news. But I think one of the more interesting things, of course, was Scotland, yeah, and the referendum. James I was actually brought in as King of England. He was the King of Scotland.
0: Yeah, a compromise candidate to avoid a uh, European claimant to the throne. Uh, he and, was uh, uh, cousins with uh, Elizabeth.
1: Yes, and mm-hmm. uh, fascinating. Elizabeth I never produced an heir. So the House of Tudor, most famously uh, members were Henry VIII and Elizabeth I, probably the two most important monarchs in British history for different reasons, uh, were, were turned over to the Scottish. And James I, who was uh, at the time actually called James VI, we didn't get enough of this history in this uh, referendum discussion, They talked about the 1707 unification and all of that. But uh, he believed in the divine right of kings. So how about that? We have a vote, and we have the divine right of Scots.
0: Yeah, it was uh, 45 to 55 percent, roughly. Yeah, a solid
1: win for the uh, so-called no vote. Uh, All sorts of implications And I think that uh, once the financial markets began to realize that this might happen, you know, they were taking polls. Kind of interesting, the British polling reporting, unlike America, does not report no opinion. So the uh, polls made it look like it was closer than it was. Obviously, the no opinion people, probably about 7% all along, swung heavily to the no vote at the end. And a lot of it might have been uh, due to the financial um, issues and implications of uh, separation. And of course, uh, these separation problems are in various provinces around the world. So there was a global uh, uh, a global uh, interest in the referendum vote in Scotland.
0: Interestingly, somebody I don't know if I can find the article, but somebody. Here did a study as to uh, how many Americans uh, would approve of their own state peeling off and going its own separate way from the United States. And according to this study, which I think was in the uh, Financial Times, uh, I'll have to look further for that, uh, <clears throat> one in four yeah. said that they would have uh, no problem uh, voting for their own United State to become disunited. And when they looked more closely at the numbers and what the political backgrounds of those people, those one in four, like 60 to 70 percent of those were Tea Partiers.
1: So, no surprise <laughs> quite there. Quite ironic. And of course, Scotland <clears throat> uh, contributed mightily to the Enlightenment. Uh, it is a, uh, shall we say, a nation within a state Ah, uh, the United Kingdom, of course, has always been a little bit odd, but maybe the most interesting result uh, from this uh, vote, besides the fact that the uh, European Union and you know the banking situation in Scotland and London, because one of the big threats that was made was the Royal Bank of Scotland. That's right. Noted that they would have to charter in London now uh, to remain viable, they were worried about a Scottish currency. And uh, the British pound still exists. I don't think it's as important. Well, it's certainly not as important as the dollar. But it still remains an important uh, currency because London is one of the global banking regional centers, so to speak. It's the gold market
0: is in London still. That's... And they
1: have enormous banking uh, in still in London. Uh, not what it once was. Of course, it lost its primary status as a result of World War One, which is interesting because it would be uh, almost wishful thinking to hope that we would be discussing more about the 100th anniversary of World War One than all of these amazing problems that are going on in the world. You know, the situation with ISIS, Ebola. Uh, We're having a global warming uh, conference this week at the United Nations.
0: Rallies in the streets all over the major cities of the world this weekend, uh, to note that.
1: And, of course, they reported just uh, a couple of days ago that this is the warmest summer on record, third warmest year on record thus far. And today's uh, New York Times is sort of a... Prelude uh, reported that greenhouse gases jumped 2.3% in 2013 to record levels. So there's certainly the data and the science, uh, which, uh, by the way, Scotland contributed mightily to, um, continues to pour in. We'll have some glorious speeches, um, but I don't know that we're going to get substantive action. So I think that's uh, the sad thing. Uh, Obviously, uh, typhoons and hurricanes still remain possibilities for parts of uh, Asia and the United States still. And uh, we'll see. It's very difficult to persuade Americans that global warming is occurring when you have a cool fall and a cool summer in this part of the country. Right. Uh, You have to fight the urge to think, you know, about what your
0: own personal physical body is experiencing weather-wise as the exclusive register that exists. Uh, Conditions are different uh, all over the world, Uh, and it's really the highly populated, densely populated with uh, impoverished people particularly, uh, centers of... uh, human habitation along the major bodies of water in the world that are the most likely to be the most uh, dramatically, even catastrophically affected by climate shift, you know, uh, ice cap melting, uh, flooding levels of the ocean. Uh, there is another article in the Times sort of related to this uh, climate thing that the heirs of the John D. Rockefeller fortune are abandoning fossil fuel uh, fuels in their um, investment packages. Their uh, 860 million dollar philanthropic uh, philanthropic organization, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, is uh, officially announced it's going to divest from companies that uh, operate exclusively with uh, fossil fuel.
1: Yeah, and the sad thing is, is that Germany is the only major industrialized country that's made a real commitment to alternative um, non-fossil fuel sources of energy. Oddly enough, they lead the world in solar uh, per per capita production of
0: their own energy. Of course, that's really where the Green Party began. Yeah. Uh, And so that goes... This is groundwork that was laid uh, politically in Germany decades ago.
1: And the Green Party, of course, was part of the coalition of Gerhard Schroeder, who uh, I think uh, principally opposed the Iraq uh, war in 2003. Uh, one fascinating aspect of this whole problem is to ultimately to get uh, some real action on global warming. I really think that the United States at this point needs to to go into bilateral negotiations with China, because if the United States and China account for 55 percent of the global greenhouse gases, they're the two nation states that can do the most. And of course, China, unfortunately, because of industrial, um, its renaissance, so to speak, its industrialization uh, stage of the nation state development, is still using large quantities of coal, large quantities of coal. and uh, The air
0: quality there, uh, as we've all heard, no doubt on numerous occasions, is uh, terrible.
1: Yeah, they're getting the smog, (laughs) a word that was uh, developed in England, by the way, in the 50s, All the time. The air is unbreathable in some of these cities on certain days, depending on the wind. The United States, of course, is uh, switching a little bit from coal to natural gas, which is uh, generally a good thing. But uh, more solar needs to be developed. Interesting uh, item in a recent uh, Harper's Index says, the number of tank cars of crude oil transported by U.S. railroads in 2008, 9,500. In 2013, (laughs) 400,000. So that's uh, the fracking. Yeah. And that's the modification that we're making, uh, for better or worse, in our own country, Fracking, of course, is fraught with all kinds of regional problems regarding the water supply. And regardless of our need for energy and electricity, I say stick with clean water. No matter what.
0: Well, uh, you don't want to put
1: yourself in a position, uh, a, a
0: situation where you have to uh, pay money to clean water up. And this is why this divestment movement is actually good news for those people who are troubled by the uh, mass quantity of uh, water that's dirtied in the tar sand cleansing process. And, of course, that's bad news for Canadian investors, uh, but good news for those of us who would like our great-grandchildren to have access to clean water.
1: And, of course, there's been a side effect. There have been more and more small earthquakes uh, earthquakes Mm -hmm. discovered in areas where they're doing— Uh, Quite a bit of this fracking, so uh, I remain agnostic, but uh, determined that water is more important than oil.
0: It's still a little hard to believe that so many people are resistant to the uh, construction of the wind turbine towers, especially here in the state of Michigan where we are composed as we are of two separate sizable peninsulas surrounded by... The third coastline is mm-hmm. really what uh, the Great Lakes is sometimes uh, called. Um, there's a lot of wind power uh, to be harvested here in Michigan. So many people are still resistant to the idea of oh they're ugly, or uh, oh they're going to kill birds. And I'm not sure that uh, how conclusive that is on the numbers of birds that are killed. Uh, you know there there will be some birds killed, but I'll bet you uh, worldwide there's more birds killed by the degradation of environmental conditions attributable to fossil fuels.
1: Oil spills. Yeah.
0: So, uh, no, BP didn't kill any birds in the uh, Gulf uh, spillage there, did they? No, no, no. Well, yeah, they did, several hundred thousand. So, if you're counting birds, I think wind turbines are still the more bird-friendly way to go.
1: I was curious to get your take on the... uh... Obama's speech about uh, the ISIS problem in uh, the, the Middle East.
0: Well, he interestingly, just a sort of a tangent, uh, he insists on referring to them as ISIL, Yeah, which I find intriguing because nobody else in the media does that. When you see that their name contains that word Levant, or the word that's being translated in the edition he's getting as Levant, uh, I think that's a more accurate read. That's a historic word. Uh, with you know regional implications,
1: I also wonder by the way, if it's related to the Isis the one of the gods or goddesses of ancient egypt egypt yeah,
0: isis uh there was some connection to
1: a Wonder Woman spin off
0: yeah, <laughs> on television back in the seventies, so
1: I had a cat named Isis once when I was living with a woman, and uh we sort of borrowed it from not really Egyptian uh, mythology or whatever you want to call it. but the, the Bob Dylan song? The Bob Dylan song on Desire.
0: Isis, oh Isis. Yeah.
1: It's a great song and it's uh, one of his greatest albums, I it, think. It really is. Outstanding uh, album. Almost not a, not a bad cut on it, really. Yeah, good mid-period work there from uh, Bob Dylan. I guess but, I uh, could use without Joey, but <laughs> <laughs> everybody can uh, do it without Joey.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's got Hurricane on it in Mozambique. Yeah. And one more cup of coffee and all those good, good Dylan tracks there.
1: And, of course, we ha- we heard about Hurricane a couple of weeks ago because he passed away. That's right. But uh, he was a champion of uh, Reuben Hurricane Carter, who was falsely tried. That's right. <laughs> the crime was murder one, and guess who testified? <laughs> yeah, well, that, was a, that was a that was sort of a standard of mine in the 70s. Well, as
0: far as uh, ISIS, this uh, conglomeration is concerned, I read uh, last week an article that was available online on the Counterpunch uh, website about the not very widely publicized links uh, to Saudi Wahhabism in ISIS. And it uh, looks like it has all the uh, hallmarks of previous attempts by Western, Read, U.S. intelligence uh, to groom a ragtag band of misfits and point them in the direction of uh, a region that we'd like to destabilize. Think back to Mujahideen, which, of course, transmogrifies into al-Qaeda. So this uh, article uh, had a lot of interesting information about uh, Saudi connections to isis In a way, it's almost like somebody took the paranoid ramblings of of Glenn Beck and said, let's frame an organization that fits that paranoid worldview and just say that that's what we're going to do. I don't think it's tactically possible for an organization to fulfill that bold claim of a new caliphate. I don't think that... uh, it's just, it's just not possible.
1: Well, it's not a new caliphate, but it is interesting that their first sort of real victory of the year was the very night that Obama delivered the State of the Union. This is when they took over the oil facilities. Uh, they have since taken over Mosul and, uh, well, nominally some sort of military airport in uh, northwestern Syria. But uh, the bad news last night, of course, was that there was a massive fleeing of Syrian Kurds into Turkey Into Turkey, and there's been a uh, shutdown or uh, clampdown at the border. I don't know if Rick Perry's on the way with a, with a white horse, but uh, the, uh, the, the whole thing with ISIS and the use of propaganda and fear in the United States is what troubles me the most. Fox News, of course, reported last week that uh, ISIS may be forming a terrorist cell somewhere near the Rio Grande.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, these stories, uh, uh, there's a guy from Minnesota who ended up in Syria, you know, fighting, and it's believed, oh, he ended up in ISIS. Um, That's something they need to do a better job uh, of following through on, you know, who's going to Syria alone? you know, these days as a traveler, you know, that's going to raise a security flag, you'd think. Uh, So they need to do a better job of that. You know, what happened to all the watch lists and security at airports and so forth. But this recent developments have uh, led to the creation of some strange bedfellows where Turks are now realizing that Kurds are their best allies against ISIS. Well, Turks and Kurds have been... uh, at it for years, the Kurds have been brutalized by the Turks repeatedly, their language outlawed, etc. etc. Woodrow Wilson, of course, famously wanted uh, there to be a Kurdish state back in the uh, ending days of World War I. So we still keep going back to the problems of uh, those uh, early 20th century attempts to redesign the world, uh, the boundaries and borders as prescribed by imperial figureheads back in those times are not holding up well. Uh, There's also an article in today's New York Times about how Hezbollah uh, is finding itself on the same side as the U.S.
1: Well, this is one of the odd things about the ISIS crisis. It's got a kind of a ring to it. (laughs) And it's not a crisis. Uh, The uh, good news, uh, if there is good news, is it seems that rather than go in uh, sort of uh, with a a chicken with our head cut off, the United States is actually building a rather slow uh, multilateral coalition of countries that support the overall policy. I'm not going to boldly predict that this will remake the Middle East, but it perhaps uh, will underscore uh, the fact that the real problem in the Middle East right now is radical Islam, not Islam per se, but radical Islam. Let's assume that the CIA's information is correct, that there are 31,000 ISIL members. Um, It might be interesting to see what sort of uh, small groups of boots on the ground end up forming and this silly idea that there's th- this isn't a war yet or this won't be a war. And this phrase, boots on the ground, is kind of odd because the United States' policy is uh, going to be air power. France, by the way, has already participated yep. in uh, some strikes. But the boots on the ground uh, debate uh, remains. Who are they? Where are they coming from? uh who's training them, what is their composition going to be ethnically and uh uh militarily and uh I suspect that this ISIS situation is, is going to be kind of a a long war, not not a short war.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that the BBC has been reporting a lot on uh ISIS as a media savvy social networking uh <laughs> ...highly functional group, and indeed I mentioned the recruiting of uh, people uh, from North America to come join the fight. Uh, And there's an article in today's Free Press, uh, ISIS recruits women to have kids and cook uh, months after declaring an Islamic caliphate, Islamic state, blah, 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 seeking to address the need of any viable nation, women... In Internet posts and social media messaging, the extremist Sunni militants are recruiting women to journey to Syria to marry fighters, have children, and uh, larger strategy of nation-building. And the message is, quote, you are coming to marry someone immediately and have kids and cook. So I'm sure there's a lot of uh, fundamentalist right-wing Christians who would say, well, that damn straight. Now, that, that's an attitude about women that I can get behind. Marriage. Cooking and kids. So, Hang fundamentalism Fundamentalism comes in many stripes. We have our own variety here, including the fellow also covered in today's New York Times who uh, is really offended by pole dancing down in Florida. And he goes and stands outside the pole dancing bar and yells at people on their way in while the uh, strippers at the bar pulled the switcheroo and went down and... Uh, Women had their shirts off. That's legal to do, uh, and to shock the churchgoers into uh, a little—you know—I shouldn't say tit for tat, but uh, it's too late. I've done it. Um, Why does this guy hang around? (laughs) Uh, Why does this guy hang around outside the uh, the stripper bar, uh, trying to uh, warn people every weekend? Well, well, he's kind of obsessed with it. Lust and envy,
1: two of those deadly sins. Right there in in
0: one fundamentalist preacher. So fundamentalism is not fun.
1: Well, I don't know if he's a monarch in disguise, but one amusing thing that I read uh, just as a footnote to the uh, discussion about Scotland is uh, an article in the London Review of Books, well, this... uh, Scottish uh, situation was being heavily debated in the British uh, media this past month. Uh, the author of the, of the book, What Sort of Scotland, Neil Atcherson, concludes his article with a rather interesting anecdote, historical, I presume, so I thought I would read it, because he notes that uh, in uh, 1567, a 13-month-old was crowned James the sixth of Scotland, He would later become James I of England after the Union crown in 1603. He was a close, suspicious monarch. By the way, his son, Charles I, believed in the divine right of kings, was the last British monarch to be beheaded, and was at the key, uh, the whole key to the English Revolution between the so-called roundheads and the cavaliers. Anyway, uh, James V, or James I, whatever you prefer, had a grandfather who was a much bolder man, a risk-taker. James V liked to prowl the streets of his kingdom disguised as a beggar, sometimes getting mugged, sometimes meeting fine women. In the church, Rod Patterson sang the ballad about a randy, mysterious beggar who some fancy the king wrote about himself. The Gabber Lundsey Man is how his subject would behave. The king wanted to find out when they didn't know who he was and when they did. I wondered how all the hundreds of men and women we had met so roused and yet not so quiet would behave if their old land stood up, threw away its charity blanket, and stepped forward as a free and independent kingdom under the saltire, a new country entering its first year. That, of course, is about, in general, the nationalism of uh, Scotland that uh, was nipped in the bud What's interesting is that it's provoked a little bit of English nationalism, Mm -hmm. and, of course, the idea of the king uh, mingling amongst the midst of his parish, so to speak, disguised as a beggar, uh, has always been a fascinating concept.
0: And, of course, Shakespeare plays with that extensively in Henry V.
1: Yes, and I'm sure it's happened before, both in uh, uh, not-so-recent history and More recent history. So a fascinating anecdote about James I's grandfather, willing to disguise himself as a beggar and mingle in the midst of the parish, so to speak. Well, we'll uh,
0: be back next week. We'll see where uh, Scotland is heading and uh, what those... Wacky caliphate wannabes from ISIS. And, of course, we'll
1: analyze who takes the high road and the low road between (laughs) times. So Jerry just entered the studio. Uh, We're doing the show tonight out of the studio in kind of an unprecedented situation. But that's the way things uh, slide, to use a phrase of Richard Nixon, uh, here at uh, WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. So do stay tuned, Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly, and certainly...